And when I was closing out last week, I said, and it was spur of the moment, that what we need to know, what God gave us for salvation, is what we call the Gospels. And everything else is commentary and application. And because I I blurt things out, I've been thinking about that all week. And I really do not think I'm wrong on that. And we're going to explore that a little bit. But, but the Gospels, Jesus' ministry and his resurrection is what was preached for salvation by the disciples. And that's all they had. Because they had no written word. We're looking at Peter today in Caesarea. And this is one year to two years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. There was nothing written yet. There was only eyewitness testimony, and that was what was preached. Now, last week, as I said, I I finished up the second sermon in a row on Acts 10, 37 through A, and I was talking about basically everything you know, need to know for salvation. This is what we're looking for. Everything one needs to know about salvation. Surprisingly, you need to know very little about Christianity to be saved. In fact, I would argue that you don't need to know anything about Christianity for salvation. Okay? Salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And since knowledge of the grace of God does not give you the grace of God, okay, the knowledge doesn't give you the grace of God. God gives you the grace of God. How far exactly can you reduce what action is necessary for salvation? Okay? I have mentioned uh, what the prophet Joel has said about salvation. Joel 2.32 says... And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, that's an Old Testament reference. It makes it no less true. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And before you say that it is necessary for some effort on the part of man, making it a work of man, okay, that you must call so it's a work of man, no, no. The rest of that, Joel 32 says, For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. And there's the model. The Lord calls people, and they in turn call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Now, uh, last week I mentioned a thief who was crucified with Jesus. And I'm going to ask a question. What did he know about Christianity? Okay? What did the thief know about Christianity? Well, he didn't know anything about Christianity. Why did he not know anything about Christianity? Because the start of the church was a month off. Maybe even further than that. He knew nothing about Christianity. He knew something that would grant him salvation, but it wasn't Christianity. Luke 
23, 32 through 43 gives us this. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he was not talking about the criminals here. He was talking about the people crucifying him. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by and watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Now, both the Gospels of Matthew and Mark say that at this time, both of the criminals crucified on either side of Jesus reviled him. They joined in in mocking Jesus on the cross. Luke goes on to record in verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. Now, there's an old saying that um, facing your own hanging concentrates the mind quite well. That as you're facing death, you're pretty clear-headed about it. And uh, the hanging seems to have concentrated one of the thieves' minds very closely. Continuing in verse 39, Luke says, One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? Now listen to what the other, the other thief says. He says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? So the second thief says, do you not fear God? And what does salvation depend on? Fear of God gives man a good recommendation before God. And that is the first step of salvation, the fear of God. Continuing on in verse 41, it says, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And uh, the thief recognizes his sin and recognizes the innocence of Jesus. Repentance is the second step. Verse 42 says, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief, through his suffering and pain, still manages to call on the name of the Lord, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. And verse 43 says that Jesus replied, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And there it is. This is from the Gospels. This is from the mouth of Jesus. This is salvation. This is how salvation works and how it comes. The thief knew nothing about Christianity. He didn't know one thing. About Jesus, he probably knew something. Very little, but he probably knew something. And yet, Jesus told him, today you'll be with me 
in paradise. Now, I've heard people say that if you live a good life, you know, and these people all claim to have lived a good life, that um, if anyone deserves to heaven to go to heaven, they do because they lived a good life, which frankly simply means they haven't killed somebody, as, as far as I can tell, okay? I can observe my own life, and I haven't killed anybody, so I'm doing good. But your good life, well, newsflash, no one deserves to go to heaven, okay? Some politician said, I've done so much good, and that was just in the last year. It, was, it might have been Cuomo, it might have been de Blasio out of New York, it was one of those guys said, I've done so much good that when I get to the pearly gates, I'm going to just push St. Peter aside, aside and go on in. Okay? Honest to goodness, I don't know how you can have that much. The Jewish word is chutzpah. Okay? I don't know how you can have that much to say that. Uh, but the, no one deserves to go to heaven. Your, your good life, your good works are as filthy rags to the Lord. And those aren't my words, as you well know. No one does good. No, not one. And once again, those aren't my words either. And it is possible that the thief on the cross had never done anything good in his life. Okay? He was a thief. He was a petty thief. He didn't care about anybody else. Very possible that he was the worst of a bad lot. And yet Jesus says to him, on the basis of what? Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Based on no goodness, based on no life of accomplishment. He wasn't the governor of New York, so he couldn't just walk on in. But Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. That is salvation coming to thief on the cross. And why does that get said? Because of Fear of God, leading to repentance, and leading to calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. Not by living a good life compared to others, not by personal piety, not by um, righteousness of your own doing, not by any human work or endeavor. Salvation is a gift of God alone, and Jesus gave that gift to somebody that most of the world would look and say did not deserve it. Okay? Now, there's the rub. Uh, which one of us deserves it? Salvation is a gift of God alone. Salvation is a mercy of God. Salvation is by no means, is by no means of man's own effort. So, with that as a background... Let's look at today's scripture, and it's not Acts 10:37a. It's the rest of the chapter, and we're gonna we're going to read it quickly. I'm not going to comment on the entire chapter. I'll probably get to that in coming weeks. We've seen what the prophet Joel said about salvation, and then what the crucifixion of Jesus and the thief on the cross shows us. Now let's see what the apostle Peter teaches teaches to the Gentiles who are gathered in Cornelius' house. Okay, So I've given you Joel from the Old Testament. I've given you Jesus' own words on the cross. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, 
but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging on a, him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them and they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So first, verse 34 and 35 says that Peter opened his mouth, and I pointed out before that that's a Greek idiom that means that something important is coming. Verse 35 says, But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This says two things to the assembled Gentiles now. Two things. That God was not just the God of the Jews, but the God of all people. And Gentiles, the second thing, and Gentiles are just as accountable for sin as the Jews were who had been given the law. There was no distinction as what's required before men, but the Jews were given the law, and the Gentiles had not been. But the sin is the sin for everyone. Anyone who fears God and does righteousness is acceptable to God. That is the first step being acceptable to God. And that's the first step to salvation. Verse 36 through 41 shows Peter delivering the gospel to the gathering, okay? And all he's delivering is, uh, is the gospel of Mark. Now, the gospel of Mark had not been written yet. It's also the gospel of Luke, almost exactly in how it's put down here. Not in as much detail, but it's a summary exactly what happened in both Mark and Luke, even though those books had not been written yet. Where did he get that information? Well, he sort of got it firsthand, didn't he? The summary is John the Baptist in uh, baptizing the wilderness, Jesus' ministry in Galilee, his death and his resurrection. This was the standard apostolic teaching in the early church. In fact, 
It was all that was preached. There was no other thing preached. Okay? The apostles all preached the same message. What Peter just preached. That is called the apostles' kerygma, which just means, it's a Greek word that means to proclaim. And this is what, it's been given a fancy theological term of kerygma now. It just means that this is what they proclaimed as they were building the church. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, and this is further down the line, 20 years later, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, but uh, Christ and him crucified. Saying I resolved to know nothing is not a really clear thing. I mean, I resolved to know nothing. No. For the first time in my life, I'm going to say this, the uh, contemporary English version of the, tra- uh, of the Bible has a clearer translation. Um, it says, in fact, while I was with you, I made up my mind to speak only about Jesus Christ, who had been nailed to the cross. Okay? All Paul did, you have to remember who the Corinthians were. They were Greeks. They loved philosophy. Corinth Corinth was the center of philosophy. They loved flowery words and big speeches. In fact, Paul was looked down in his ministry uh, as opposed to Apollos. Apollos had flowery words, okay? Apollos was a master speaker, But Paul says, I determined that I would not approach you this way because it was the pagan way of looking at spiritual matters. And he says, I determined I would only speak Christ and him crucified. This preaching of the Gospels by the apostles, as I said, was known as the charisma, or as Peter says here, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. And then he goes through the whole thing. They put him to death by hanging, but God raised him up on the third day. Keep in mind that what Luke records here is probably just a summary. Okay? This is not everything Peter said, but it's a summary. Uh, Remember that talk is cheap. And scrolls aren't cheap, okay? Scrolls cost money, talk is cheap. They did not record everything that this was said. But this message here was the message that all the apostles preached. The message that would change the world and build the church. There was no hidden knowledge. Last week we had uh, uh, a little bit of gnosis thrown in. There's no hidden knowledge. There's no secret thing to know. There's no trick. There's nothing that Jesus pulled Judas aside and told him uh, about the nature of God and his mission. There is no hidden knowledge. There are no tricks. There are no rules. And there are no formulas to salvation. Just the simple truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, Peter then brings the gospel up to the current moment Uh, in Caesarea. He tells the assembled that God made Jesus to appear not to all the people, 
But to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now, this has always bothered me when I was a child and even later. Might still bother me a little bit now. Is why did nobody recognize Jesus when he rose from the dead? We are left really with only speculation. The history of Israel was already littered, literally littered with the carcasses of those claiming to be the Messiah. This was a long tradition in Israel of people claiming to be the Messiah. More were to come, including some among our friends, the Gnostics, that were already within the church. Remember also that after the resurrection, even the disciples on the road to Emmaus did not recognize Jesus immediately. Either Jesus did not allow them to, or his resurrected body just wasn't immediately recognizable to them, that there was enough different about that. It wasn't until Jesus broke bread with the two men on the road to Emmaus and gave it to him, uh, just as he did at the Last Supper, like the night before or two nights before, It was then that their eyes were opened, uh, knowing Jesus at that next supper. Okay? There was a last supper. This was the next supper of Jesus, was when he appeared to those on the road to Emmaus. It was given by God to those who knew Jesus best and who would not be deceived by appearances or counterfeits to document Jesus' resurrection. His best friends were the ones entrusted with knowing who Jesus was, Jesus appearing to them, so that interlopers could not come in and take his place. Verse 42 says, And he commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. This was the commission given to the early disciples to preach the truth about Jesus And what had brought Peter to Caesarea and this group of seeking Gentiles was just this, to preach the gospel, to preach the truth about Jesus. Verse 43 says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And once again, there it is. What does Peter say? He says, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everything you need to know to have salvation is believe in Jesus. That's the list. This is what you need to do. You have to believe in Jesus to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. It's so simple that an evil, tortured thief on the cross was able to do it. Okay? Because there were no tricks involved here. He didn't have to remember anything. He had to simply recognize who Jesus was and call on his name. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, which were the Jewish believers, of course, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling 
God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Okay? All they did was hear the gospel and believe. They received the Holy Spirit. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. As he was still speaking the miracle of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. And why the gift of tongues? Well, because it was so startling when it happened to the church at Pentecost that everybody said, what's going on here? It was a recognizable sign of the coming of God into their lives. What other way possible would there be to identify the inclusion of Gentiles into the church that was a sign than was the sign given to every Christian at the beginning of the Christian church. And again, that's it. Okay? That's all that was needed for salvation. But here's the thing. It's also everything you need for salvation and the only thing you need for salvation. Okay? Romans 10, uh, the Apostle Paul puts a point on it. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say, Paul says? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For there is no, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he goes on to say that, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And one final point here. If you're looking for more things to do for salvation, if you're searching for a set of rules to guarantee salvation, you're out of luck. There are no rules in Christianity. Okay? There are no rules. There aren't these steps. You don't need to memorize ten things to be a Christian, to have salvation. And Now, you might say every religion has rules, but I will say this. Christianity is not a religion. Okay? There is a Christian church, but it is not a religion. Religions have rules. Religions have things you have to follow. 
Christianity is a way of life. When you believe in Christ, you are made a new creation and you have a new life. Christianity is a way of life and it is the way of life. If someone tells you that you sinned, but you'll be forgiven if you say five Hail Marys, okay? Don't believe them. That's a rule. When Jesus saved the woman who was about to be stoned for adultery, okay, you remember her? And he famously said to the men about to stone him, you know, okay, you who have no sin, throw the first stone. And everybody leaves. And uh, anyway, when he confronts her, he did not say, you need to pray five Hail Marys. Okay? He didn't say that. That's his own mother. Okay? Mary's his mother. Five Hail Marys, full of grace. Jesus does not say that. What does Jesus say? He says, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. He did not give you any steps to forgiveness. If you say, what about the Ten Commandments? Well, the Ten Commandments aren't given to Christians. They are, but they're given to everyone. They're given to the Jews first, but they're for the entire world. They're not rules that Christians are to keep. They're commandments to be obeyed, but they are not rules. They are God's commandments. Keeping the Ten Commandments does not give you salvation, right? Because the Jews could not keep the Ten Commandments. It was a guide to Jesus Christ and the fact that the law does not save. Okay? Faith plus anything else is works. Okay? And works is man-based religion, period. Faith plus anything is works. Salvation is given freely to those who believe in and on Jesus. You know, I've, I've shown you this from Joel. I've shown you this from, from um, Paul. I've shown you this from Peter's preaching. I've shown you this from Jesus' life, that it is faith in Jesus that does it. Salvation is given freely to those who believe in and on Jesus. Otherwise, on the cross, when, when Jesus hears, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me, the believing thief might have been told to say some Hail Marys. And that is not what Jesus did. Instead, he said, as he says to all of us, on belief, you will be with me in paradise. Hopefully not today, but you will be with me in paradise. There is nothing added to the message. Let's pray. Lord, when, when you called us to follow you, it wasn't with a bunch of do thises and do thats. It was believe in me and I will give you rest. You call us to a life dedicated to you, which means that we need to turn from sin, that we need to repent constantly, that we need to face who we are as people. But it isn't rules. It is a call on our heart. It is not guidelines. It is the way we are called to live. Help us to live that life in the strength of Jesus Christ.
Amen.